Hey guys, welcome back to the Evolution of Confidence. I am here with Miriam and we are gonna talk about how she has coached people into living their best lives in their businesses. She has a over six figure business and has generated a ton of money doing what she does. She has so many things that are super inspirational and I just wanna hear from Miriam how she can help our listeners. We are all about gaining confidence, especially in the business world, especially with our finances, learning more about financial literacy and how we can become educated on managing our finances because it is a little bit taboo sometimes for women to talk about finances, but we are here to open the discussion and make it super accessible for everybody. So Miriam, thank you so much for joining. Well, thanks so much for having me. Excited to talk to you today. Of course, of course. One second, I want to make sure that no texts come in. Um, okay, so can you tell us a little bit about your business, how it's gone over the last year, and what's coming for you? Sure. So um, I've been in business a long time, been a professional artist for about 20 years, and for the last five years, I've been coaching other artists to help them also build successful businesses. And I just came out with a book this year, Artpreneur. Amazing. Can you tell me a little bit about Artpreneur and what you focus on? Because obviously art is not in my wheelhouse, so I want to hear all about it. It's super interesting to me. Yeah, so Artpreneur, it's really a business book for people who don't think they understand business, but the truth is everything I talk about in Artpreneur applies to every business. So every business in the world uses the same five foundations that I talk about in my book, which I call the passion and profit framework. There are five areas. Okay. The areas are production. What are you producing? So are you selling sneakers? Are you creating art? Are you selling website design? Are you selling coaching packages? Or whatever that is, that's what you're producing. And we can say that's your art. Okay. So whatever it is that you're producing, that's your production. Next is pricing. How are you pricing it? Next is prospecting. Where are you going to find your customers? Where are you going to find your clients? Who are you going to sell these things to? And then there's promotion. How are you going to sell it? And finally, productivity. How do all these things work together? So as you can see, Mari, all businesses need all five of these foundations. And that makes a ton of sense because, you know, my business personally rides a lot on creativity. That's why I opened my brokerage was to have more creative control and be able to lead with that marketing to bring in the income. And it's super interesting because I feel like in school, you learn a lot that the kids who are creative are not as skilled in business or they're not as skilled in finances. That's at least what I heard growing up. And my mom's actually an artist. She's painted my whole life. She's very good. She's in a lot of studios down here. Um, but it was it was always her hobby and she wanted to keep it that way. But I don't think she even realized how much she utilized those tools that she learned in art with her career and being able to make it sustainable by keeping that creativity, which I'm sure you see on a daily basis. Yeah. So at its heart, uh, creativity is a survival strategy. 
So if you're in business and things change in the world, which it does and it will, you need to adapt. Yes. You need to be creative. And that is actually what Darwin meant when he didn't say survival of the fittest. He said survival of those who are most able to adapt. In other words, the most able to be creative, to pivot, to think outside the box, to do something different in a situation. Creativity is not just about can you make a painting? Can you write a song? Right. Can you think differently? Do you know how to change? Do you know how to sit there with a set of circumstances that may not be working and see a different solution? And be resourceful. That's right. Yeah, because I feel like that's a huge part of it. A lot of people train, like I paid for a course when I first started my business. It was like a $10,000 course. And they said, you have to delegate everything. And I'm so used to doing every facet of my business that some people might see as not a good way, like, part of your time, but it's not all about finances. A lot of it is knowing each aspect of your business. So then when you're delegating that task, you have more of an understanding of it. That's kind of my philosophy with having a lot of hats in the business. I think I'm at the point where I'm delegating a lot of them, but do you see a lot of people get paralyzed in that mindset of I've got to do everything myself? Oh, uh, 100%. And I was victim of it myself. The problem is is sometimes when you have both the left and right brain, when you can do everything, you think you should do it all. Right. And and nothing can be further from the truth. So what I like to tell my clients, and this is what helped me the most when I really started to grow my business, was I took on what I call a business babysitter. Oh. So... So I did have small kids, but instead at that time, okay. now, now they're big kids. Okay, well, I have two small 20s. kids, so this is great okay. for me to hear. <laughs> All right, so instead of hiring a babysitter to spend time with my kids so that I would work on my business, right? I would hire a, even just like a teenager. So when I first started out, it was just somebody who was in high school or in college, and the going rate was ten dollars. I mean, now I would pay fifteen or twenty. Right. But back then it was it was ten dollars an hour, ten hours a week. We're talking about like a hundred dollars. And maybe now, like I said, it maybe that would be $150. Yeah. They would do the stuff that didn't need to be done by me. And believe me, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be done by you. Even if you think it does, it almost always doesn't. So that I would pay somebody else to babysit my business. So maybe I'm the one who is carpooling my kids around because that's when they actually talk to me. Right, right, exactly. So I didn't have to give up time with my children to work on my business. I just got better at identifying what does it need to be done by me? What can be done by a computer? If a software can do it and human, then I would pay for that. Like I was always looking, how can I, time really is our most valuable asset. It is. Because we can make more money. We can't make more time. It's so true. I was just at a meeting with someone that I just brought on from inside the brokerage. So she's going to be the sales support representative, but she has kids too. And we talk a lot about how they're the same age. Um, We both have a boy and a girl and it's a lot to focus on your business when you know that, like you said, somebody else is watching your kids while you're doing that. And like, it totally changes your perspective on how your time is spent. Because I used to do anything for a client. I would drop everything. I would run to them no matter what. Didn't think about myself, didn't think about anything else. But now that I have kids, 
if somebody's 45 min minutes late to a showing, I'm like personally offended by that now because I'm like, that was 45 minutes I could have spent with my kids. And other people are not gonna have that mindset. And I feel like it's about op like changing things on your own to be able to handle those situations better so that you're not becoming resentful about your own career because that's really like a recipe for disaster in my mind because um, positivity is so important to stay in the game. But when you have kids, it's a very real struggle that so many women go through. And we are kind of like, I feel like a lot of us suffer in silence where we're just like, this is what it is. And like, I have to deal with it to compete. But I also feel like addressing it is so important, like you just did, because that makes me feel like, okay, I'm not in this alone. There's other people going through that same thing where they have that mindset of, now that I have kids, I have a different why and how am I going to maximize my time so that, like you said, I'm with my kids and I'm not paying somebody else to be with them while I'm babysitting employees. Yeah. And the other thing is that's, I think, really huge um, is letting go. So let's just say you're, you're on board, you're, getting, you're paying somebody to do the Mickey Mouse stuff. Make sure that that time that's spent with the kids isn't spent um, being class mom, uh, making perfect birthday parties, doing like all kinds of nonsense that we put pressure on ourselves to have this Instagram worthy birthday party that we did ourselves. Like that yes. stuff is such nonsense. Now I say this as somebody who did that stuff. Like I, before I started my business, believe me, I had the the Wizard of Oz birthday themed party with the, you know, and every, you know, the pin, pin the heart on the table. Right. Like it was, Everything it was matches. ridiculous. <laughs> it was ridiculous. So to, to put then, you know, once I had my business, it was like, okay, I, you know, I'll, I'll pay a couple hundred dollars to the local Y so that the, for the kids to play basketball with the coach, you know, right. like done, done, right. write a check, right. done. Right, make it easy. That, yeah. Right. So just you always have to think about that, not just on your own business. Can this be done by somebody else? But even in your life, that's so what true. can be done by somebody else? It doesn't need to be done by you. That is so this morning, my husband's like, OK, the laundry is going to sit there like if you don't put it away. And I'm like, I have just worked an entire like I work constantly and I don't want to put the laundry away. And I have a friend who has somebody do put the laundry away. And just that act is like. I'm like, I would pay anyone, like literally anything to do that because it's so the, the bane of my existence. I don't want to do it. And I enjoy doing things in my business. But like you said, you have this mindset as like, I should be the homemaker and the business person and the chef and the, you know, this and that and the other thing. But then your own personal relationships fall short because you only have so many hours in the day and people start getting mad like, Oh, you're not spending time with me, even though you want to. It's like, I only have, I don't, I'm a human being. I can't, you know, do literally everything, but it's hard to change your mindset until you do it. And then once you hire somebody to do it, you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. I feel like. And, and one thing that's really important to point out, it's that it's more than just enough hours in the day. Because if I were to wave my magic wand and give you three extra hours, you don't want it. First of all, you don't want to be doing that doing laundry. I have more fights with my husband over laundry, by the way, than anything else. <laughs> That's like the so only you know. thing we argue about. <laughs> yes, he wants me to do it, or he does it, and he gets resentful that he's doing it. I was like, 
just stop it. I will pay to send it out. Literally. I, I'm like so sick of this. Yes. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, you don't have more energy. Yes. If I were to give you three extra hours, you only have a limited supply of energy. So I give you three extra hours. That's Netflix. Yes. That's that my is real not, housewives time. That's not working on your business and it's certainly not doing the laundry. I got to gotta turn my brain off. Right. And so there's a couple of things that I want to make sure the listeners understand. So one, can it be done? Does it have to be done by you? And what is your time worth? What is your time worth? So if you, it, we always think, oh, well, I can save money that way. Yeah. But like, how much is it going to really cost you? Can you, is your time worth that money that you save? Because a lot 100%. of times it isn't. And it's really writing it down. Like, because if you have it in your mind, sometimes you're like, oh, well, you know, maybe I'm overvaluing my time or maybe I'm under, but if you actually write it down and see it in print, sometimes that's all you need to be like, oh, I'm undervaluing my time and I have been for years. Let me change it today. Like it's that simple to change it that quickly, but sometimes our minds make us feel like it's this huge unachievable task that can only be achieved by somebody else. That's how I feel in my brain, but I'm sure a lot of the listeners feel the same where they're like, Cause I kind of grew up more in like a, like I learned how to be resourceful and like do a lot of stuff on my own. And I feel like I tend to stay in that mindset where I almost feel selfish or like guilty if I'm being luxurious or like extra, even though that's what I want and that's what I'm work like I've worked my ass off, but I will still, you know, be, I'll still justify doing things myself. Like I always wash my own car or like, you know, not getting my nails done because it's like, I don't have time to do it. But it's like, do I really not have time to do it? Or am I prioritizing other people over my own self care? That's like, kind of where my brain is. I'm with you, sister. I don't have time to do my nails. Let's I just, just celebrate going. it. I feel like not doing your nails is the middle finger to the patriarchy. Okay, like, thank should, you. Why should we sit here and get our nails painted? It's like such a it's waste of time. Pain. I'm not saying that I never do it. Let's be clear. And I'm sure you do it too. My There's toes. times where, like, okay, yeah, my toes usually. Because yeah. it's like, that's growth and yoga. You like, you don't want. Yeah, and you get a massage. To see that. That's right. Right. And, and like sometimes I get my nails done, but like that's one of the first things to go because it's like, who am I doing this for? Yes. It's so, and I hate sitting there. To me, I hate like, sitting there. And it's like, it's going to get wrecked the minute I walk away. Like, exactly. no matter how long I sit there. So it's like, and you're going to hate the color and you're going to be like, why did I get the, right, color? I hate the color? I'm not exactly. going to be here for why another two months because I don't want to be here. Like, it's me. For me, it's like, if you love getting your nails done and that's like your thing, like to me, I love getting facials. That's my thing and I love it and I enjoy every second of it. But getting my nails done is the bane. I hate it. I hate every moment of it. So it's like I'm not putting pressure on myself to have nice nails for people. I don't care enough, you know. No, and I mean, if we, we talk about the whole patriarchy thing, it's also about once your nails are done, there's less you, you can do with your hands. So it's kind of. I feel it's a little bit. It can be disempowering. So you know, it's kind of like high heels. That is such a good point because you focus on it a lot too. Like I'll notice if my nails are like chipped and I'm like doing documents or I'm passing something to someone, I remember I'll, I'll always be like, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. Or, oh, I look unprofessional. And it's kind of like a distraction because it's really not unprofessional, but it's something in our brain that's like, oh, I need to go fix that now before I can even do my job. Like that's yeah. fucked up, you know, when you think about it and say it that way, like you're absolutely right. Because 
it should be your choice of this makes me feel good. I want to do it. And it's attributing to my success and my happiness, not this is a standard that I have to, because that goes with purses. That goes with what kind of car you drive. That go, like It can snowball and then you're broke looking great, but you have no money. Like That's really what I think a lot of females deal with on a daily basis is like, there's so much marketing and now on Instagram and TikTok, it's like, even if you don't go into CVS, you're still going to order shit online and it's so easy to get it. But at the end of the day, you're like accumulating a lot of stuff. Do you even want to put makeup on your face? Or do you feel I, like I'm you have to? I'm in love with the, um, the Zoom filters, by the way. It was like, oh. I love filters. Lipstick? What color lipstick am I going to put? Are they seeing the video? I've never, I didn't even know there were filters also. I would have one on right now. Wait, no, but is anyone going to see the video if I show you? Oh, yeah, 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 we're recording. Okay. Oh, my God, please show me. This is, like, so fun. I wish I could just do my high school reunion on Zoom now. Okay, so, right. Okay, so I'm just going to show the ladies out there. This is, this is, like, it's not about the color. What happens when you put one of these filters in, this is, it actually makes you look like you have those bigger lips because yes. it's all smooth. Because you can see um, the color of your lips. That's yeah. What, yeah, I do the same um, thing. Okay. They have some filters I don't that really like, great. like, you know, but as long as we're talking about it. So for, those, for those who cannot see what I'm doing, and uh, so this is not on YouTube or you're just going to put, you'll well, put I'm going to put it everywhere. This. Yeah. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, all of that. Okay. But yeah. those of you who are listening, so if you're on Zoom, next time you're Zooming with your friend or your mother or your, or your, or your, a coach like us you go, go down to the video filters and my fa- favorite filters are touch up my appearance adjust right. for low light and then there are some really crazy filters I, we're, are we supposed to be talking about my book but this is more interesting right i okay. literally was just starting so. to write it down i'm like wait i can just listen it back listen back to it. okay <laughs> but no this right, is good wait, wait, wait. this is good because so, no, i talk about filters. because this is important no right. it is it no but i want to touch I'm on sorry, that because this is like on. i gotta sh- i gotta share with this no. like i'm so happy and proud of these secrets okay and but before here's, we move- here's no filter okay but i still have touch of my parents no one's allowed to see me without that okay so black and white cinnamon is wow. a great one oh, cinnamon cream is, i like is this beautiful. one seafoam not so much i like cream the best yeah yeah me too cream cream for you is the best so far I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It looks and it looks. It's like my makeup was done. I'm 54 years old. I don't look like this in real life. You look amazing. No, but does it even matter? <laughs> because here's the thing, and I want to touch on that. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. It's almost like we're simpatico right now because with TikTok, people will, like I'll see videos where people are like, "Oh, it's so bad for people's mental health," and I totally, totally understand that. However, if you can be open and say, "Hey, I'm using a filter," or there's a thing. It's a tool. It's just like putting on makeup and my skin has never been clearer because I use filters because I don't feel like I have to That's oh I right. got to put on a bunch of makeup and all this chemicals and stuff onto my face before I do my job, which is essentially creating content to bring in business. I don't feel that pressure and like to me, I think it's something that we need to teach our young women and girls about their relationship with themselves and their ability to choose. It's your choice if you use a filter or not. It's your choice if you get plastic surgery or not. However, it's also somebody else's choice and they have no 
they have no reason to have to tell you whether they're getting Botox. Like, to me, it's, and I understand the sentiment, but for my own confidence, I just feel like I have to work on my own self to know that those things aren't going to affect me so much because every day we're going to get more and more advanced with the AI, uh, filtering your bodies, filtering your faces. It's going to be harder and harder to tell. You know, in college, and I don't want to run on, but in college I learned, that was in 2015, they said this is the first generation who will recognize people more from what they see online than in person. Like they will recognize their face online and not somebody in person. And it's getting more and more like that. It's how do we control our own mental health enough to not let it affect you as a person? Because it's not a personal attack on somebody to use a filter. But I think some people take it that way and they think no one should use filters, but really it's it's a tool. And it's just like saying no one should use makeup. That's not reasonable, you know? Right. I mean, I think what our theme is that we're talking about throughout so far is like, how do we save time right. in our life and in our business so that we can focus on what matters most? Yes, exactly. And if, if there's a shortcut for me to do something, and one of those shortcuts might be using a filter so I look better with right. less work, hell yes. Yeah, and feel confident yes. too. That's right. It makes me feel good. I love looking at myself on Zoom now. I love it. And now I mean, I walk around. I don't look like this, but I'm so confused. I think I look like how I do on Zoom. It doesn't even matter. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I love it. I think we should embrace it. Everyone should do what they want to do, to be honest. (laughs) Like, you know, it's it's so important. And I like I'm obsessed that you just brought that up. But I also want to talk about your book and kind of. I know you said something about five, like there's five things that you recommend people do, or there's five pillars. So can you explain a little bit about that so that people have a tangible tip that they can take with them? Okay. And and I think this is the third podcast I did today. So forgive okay. me if I've already said this. You'll just interrupt me if no I No problem. So there's five areas and this is every business. It doesn't matter if you're selling sneakers, art, um, whatever you have. Production, what are you producing, pricing, prospecting, promotion, and productivity, those five. Now, if somebody's struggling in their business, it's because there is a problem with one of those five areas. However, more often than not, they've misidentified the problem, and that's why they're having so much trouble fixing it because they think their problem might be not enough traffic. I hear that the most, I think, from my community, my artists. They say, oh, just help me build a bigger Instagram following. I was like, no, the problem is you're selling greeting cards for $10 each that you make by hand. Right, right, yes. Or the problem is your art isn't priced high enough. Fix that. So it, and and that's why I said this is every industry. I work mostly with visual artists, but if you're selling the wrong thing, if you're not pricing it right, that's just math. Yeah. This is not yeah. complicated calculus or economics. This is just what can you produce? What's your capacity for what you can produce a week, whether that is one-on-one coaching, uh, built, designing logos, um, whatever, you know, personal training. I don't know. Whatever it is, what are you charging for it? Does that math add up to what you want? Because no manifestation or really good sales techniques in the world is going to fix that if you don't have those two things right, the production and the pricing. Once you fix that, then you can work on, okay, 
Now, how are you getting your customers? You think they're all going to find you on, on social media? No, they're on to the next uh, makeup tutorial or right. whatever, whatever it is that we're looking at. You know, they're on to the next thing. They're they're not stopping to look at you. So, and, and we, do you want to talk about that hard data uh, around social media? Is that something your audience is interested yeah, in? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We're just talking about that in the meeting. So I'd love to hear it. Okay, so when I first submitted my book, I got a lot of pushback from one of the editors. She's like, ah, she's in her 50. She's so old fashioned. She doesn't believe in social media, blah, blah, blah. And I realized at that point that not that I needed to talk about social media more, but I didn't make my case strong enough about why email is so much more effective in all industries than social media. So when I started writing the book, the average engagement rate on Instagram was 1%, meaning 1,000 people, 1%, one person is going to engage with you. By the time I went to edit it to make, to build, make my case stronger, I actually had to revise it. The, the Instagram uh, engagement rate had fallen. And this is last year that I revised it. I don't know what it is now, but it had fallen to 0.6%. Okay, so what about all these people who are going to teach us how to get more engagement? Right. And it's not going to be worth as much. All right. The influencers, their average engagement rate for an influencer is 1.12%. In other words, out of 1,000 people, 11. All right. So now let's compare that to email. The average open rate on email is around 24%. Okay. So... Out of 100 people, 24 people will open, open it and see what you're talking about. Now, let's compare what would you need to do? I'm not quizzing you. Don't worry. I, I've already figured out the the numbers. So how many people on Instagram do you need to get the same result as you do an email? 4,000. 4,000, because we're talking about 0.6%, right? right? Oh, I, I was thinking about the one, okay. Yes, that makes sense. 0.6%. Wow. So you need 4,000 people on Instagram to get 24 people as 100 people in email. And that's why your effort should be on email marketing, not social media. What about text marketing, SMS? So- you know, that, that that is effective. I don't have the numbers on that, but there is evidence that it's effective. And I know that just from my own behavior that I've signed up for a few things because they, they yeah. offered me a discount and exactly. then I'm still getting Jonathan Adler texts. Yeah. Oh, I get them all the time. I'm like half my inbox is like now things that I've signed up for. But, um, you know, I've, I've seen the data on that as well. And it's very effective, especially in comparison to email marketing or print marketing. And at my brokerage, you know, I'm all about balling on a budget and like putting our time into the best marketing sources. An example would be I, I bought a bench ad for a year. It brought me one client. So that's $6,000 that I spent to get one phone call. And it wasn't even somebody who closed. It was like somebody asking a random question. And I thought, wow, my ROI on that is horrible. But when you're a person that pays attention to the data and analytics, which you clearly are, I'm the same way and I'm almost obsessive about it, but you have to be that way if you're gonna run your business and be the CEO, because we've seen it with Sam Bankman, Sam Bankman Freed, we've seen with other CEOs that have just kind of gone willy nilly and you're, as a creative person, which I'm sure you work with all the time, 
you can go off on a tangent and and make these huge dreams and goals and whatever. But if you're not looking at your analytics at the same time as you're doing that marketing and that you're growing that business, you could be growing from a completely not only unethical place, but a not factual place. And it can almost heal your anxiety in your business if you just sit there and look through the analytics and get a true black and white figure of how you're doing instead of, oh, I got 40 something, whatever likes on Instagram and this realtor got 40,000. Okay, what does that mean? Because with that 40 likes, but then like you said, you're doing email marketing, you're doing in person, you're doing networking, you could be making so much more than that person with 40,000 likes, but the metric is what you're focused on and you're focusing on the wrong metric sometimes. Yeah, so uh, my publisher, HarperCollins, had asked me to do a, asked me to put one of their new authors on my podcast. And they're like, but she has half a million TikTok followers. She'll put you on her TikTok. It's like, that's not an even trade. Right, right. It's not, you can follow someone on TikTok and they'll never see your stuff again. And uh, P.S., why do you think she's struggling with to sell her book right now? Because nobody knows who she is. And I'm not going to embarrass her, obviously, and say which author this is. No, but it's important. But, you know, it's like she's struggling. It's important. She's struggling. She doesn't have an engaged audience that cares. And these metrics like TikTok numbers, having a huge following on TikTok is not meaningful. It's so funny that you're saying this because a lot of the people that interview and they'll say, oh, you built all this from TikTok. But then I see the analytics and it's a lot of it is from the door to door that I did, the in-person stuff that I did before I was even ever on TikTok. So I don't like to promote, oh, this is all from social media because that's not true. And I could, of course, be making a lot of money. There are people making millions of dollars a month selling courses about Airbnb or, you know, real estate and all this stuff when they're not actually in the market, they're not actual professionals. They're just people that got a good following because they shared information. But you have to look at that source with a fine tooth comb and like somebody like yourself that has a book where you can cross reference what you've done to gain that credibility is something that everyone should keep in mind because you're going to get in your DMs people, oh, buy my course to make this much money, be a YouTube automator, be this person, whatever. Social media is an amazing tool and I use it for my business every single day, but that is not without the stuff I'm doing behind the scenes all the time that no one sees and that's intentional, to be honest. It's, you know. Well, that's right. And that that's the problem is that people see what ha- people do in social media and they don't understand that for people who are successful, that's not what's causing the success. Yeah. Um, just a, an example from my world. So Ashley Longshore is a, is a fairly well-known pop artist and she has, I don't remember how many, maybe 300,000 followers on Instagram. And she likes to promote the idea that that is where she gets her fame from, but that isn't true. She has a lot of followers on Instagram because she of the work she did off of Instagram. She hired a publicist. She was in Vogue. She was in New York. And if you even go to her Instagram, you'll see on her highlights all the press she does. It's no different than Taylor Swift. She doesn't have millions of followers because of Instagram. She has millions of followers because she's Taylor Swift. Right. So it's like, that's that's the thing you have to remember. Like some people, like they get their following because of what they're doing off of Instagram and 
And that is not how they're generating their conversions. Their conversions aren't happening because of Instagram. Instagram is just kind of like the icing on the cake. And people will advise you. They will make you spend thousands and thousands of dollars to learn how to be like them and be an influencer when you and I know that that's not how they made their money, but the general public does not know because not everyone's ethical and not everyone's acting in the best interest of the people that consume their services. That's just a fact of life. So when for our listeners, you really, again, you have to discern between is this valuable or am I being swayed into something to that's like a pipe dream because like you said, not, you know, in TikTok used to be super easy to gain a following. Now it's not as much that way. So if even same thing with real estate, so many people got their real estate license because of selling sunset, because of TV shows, stuff like that. And even when I got my license, that's when like million dollar listing was really popular and also flipping houses, house shows were popular. It is unbelievable how much those TV shows and content influences the market, the real estate market. And I've seen it over the past five and a half years. Oh, people used to want to flip houses. Now they want something turnkey because Airbnb is the hot thing. But it would be not intelligent for me as a business owner and somebody who built my business in real estate using social media as a tool to go head first into, I'm going to be like an Airbnb influencer. I'm going to be like a real estate influencer and not do my job, which a lot of people I think have done. And I think it's important for people, whatever industry they're in, to like you're saying, it's like, like take it like it's an email tool. Take it like it's MailChimp or take it like it's mailers that you're sending out, like a portion of what you're doing, not this is my job now because you That's right. might be broke. Because they, they will want you to make it. And by they, we mean we're talking about the Zuckerverse. Yes. They want you to make content for them. They will even pay you to make content for them. Yes, exactly. That is not your job. You're not on a TV show. Your job is to get paid by other people. It's (laughs) true. Even TV shows. I just turned down a TV show because I said, this is not reflective of what we do day to day. This is portions of TikToks that I've made of me twerking or girls in bikinis that work for me and stuff. And I'm like, I literally looked at the reel for two seconds and threw my phone because I said, these are hardworking individuals. They're super knowledgeable. No one works here that is not working their ass off every day and doesn't know their shit. So I would be a bad boss to be like, hey guys, like let's capitalize on a reality show that's going to make you guys look like fools. Like I can't have that, you know, just morally I cannot have that. Even though being on a reality show has been my dream forever, those things change. And I'm sure with your clients as artists, the people that you work with that really could be anyone, an artist could be an engineer, could be a dog, like really anybody. How do you see that people kind of change their goals along the way where they might have started wanting something? Then once they achieve that, they're like, oh my God, I don't really want this. What do I do now to pivot? How, how do people change their goals? Well, how do you help them with that? Like how, what feedback do you get from those people where that is, for a lot of people is turmoil, where they have to make a choice or they have to say no to something that they yeah. wanted because of their yeah. kids it, or whatever. It, it, this is what I, decision-making is one of the hardest things for us humans to do because our brains have evolved 
for survival, not goal achievement. And I say that a lot for a lot of things, just even just trying to do something new, it, that whole part, piece of the way we think, the way we've evolved makes it hard. We just want to protect ourselves. So what will happen is we're trying to make a decision is we will think about all the reasons why choice A is a terrible idea and will suck and all the reasons why choice B will also be horrible. So now you're like trying to decide between two horrible things. Of course, you're not going to be able to make a decision. So what I tell people who are trying to make that that kind those kind of life decisions or, or, or things in their business, go to the other place. And, and there's really two exercises you can do. The first exercise Choice A is going to be amazing. Don't think about why it's not going to work. Think about it's going to come out exactly the way you want it to. Everything's going to work out. It's going to be amazing. Choice B, you know, you stay in your job. It'll be amazing. Everything will be wonderful. Now, look at those two things. You're looking at the best possible situations for both of them. Which would you rather do? And do you like your reasons? The other thing I tell people to do is when they're trying to make a decision, so let's say it's to go into a new business, is I say, okay, well, let's go to the, the worst possible situation. What's the worst possible thing that could happen if you take this risky new thing? What's the right. worst possible thing? Now, a lot of times they'll say, okay, it won't work out. It'll fail. Blah. And I say, so what's the worst part about that? I'll be mad at myself. I say, all right. Now, what's the best possible case scenario of doing the thing? And, and they tell me, I was like, so do you think risking being mad at yourself, which by the way, is completely optional. You don't have to be mad at yourself if something doesn't work out. Do you think the, the, the risk of being mad at yourself is worth the best possible outcome? And most of the time it is. Yeah. Because we can handle being mad at ourselves and we can choose not to be mad at ourselves. We don't have to beat ourselves up just because something didn't go, turn out. That's and optional. A hundred percent. It's kind of like in sports. Like I was talking to my husband about this today because he played football. It's like you have to control your own reaction to things. And it doesn't mean that things are going to always go good or always go bad. It's just being able to stay calm, stay as calm as possible, like either way and know and trust that you as a person are confident enough to be able to navigate that. And when you do pivot, it will be a good thing. And that a lot, I think, is through life experience because when you're in it, it is so hard to take a step back and go, this is gonna be okay. But I find as I'm getting older, like I'm about to turn 30, I've gone through that cycle a few times of like losing a job and then restarting or, you know, I just prepared for a talk for six months while I was postpartum and like I'm not able to do it. And like things that have really kind of like beaten me down personally, but it's all personal because those goals are things that you set for yourself. Those are the standards that you have for yourself. It's not embarrassing to not achieve those things because you are going to learn no matter what, even if it doesn't work out, the worst thing that can happen is you learn from it, in my opinion. Like that's just what I've experienced. And you're not sometimes going to realize that until like several months down the line or even years. And then you think back to, I'm so glad that thing I really wanted didn't happen, or I'm so glad I learned this lesson from that situation. So now I can look at this situation differently and maybe protect myself better or take a risk that I wouldn't have taken before. Um, do you find that the people that you counsel, do you find that a lot of them are risk averse and you kind of push them to go after what they want? 
Um, or do you find that there are also people that need to be like reeled in and brought back to reality? What's kind of your, you know, the majority of the people that you work with? Okay. So I, I had already talked about how our brains have evolved for su survival, not goal achievement in, in the sense of decision-making. So here's what happens in general. So when you want to go for something and it's brand new and it doesn't matter if this is quitting your day job and becoming a painter or you are in a business and now you're going to hire a new employee or, you know, anything that's new, right. anything you're doing new that you feel the least bit uncomfortable about because it's something you've never done before, perhaps your brain is going to feel fear. What happens when your brain feels fear is like I said before, it will come up with all kinds of reasons why this is a terrible idea. Right. And the smarter you are and the more creative you are, the better you will be at coming up with these very convincing stories. They will not feel like stories to you. They will not feel like excuses to you. They will feel like facts and they will feel real. And this is what keeps us moving forward. So this is a lot of the mindset work that I do throughout Artpreneur is I, I'm on to you. I know what these, some of these common thought distortions are. Right. So we have fear that's going to lead to doubts. What happens then? Well, we don't, don't want to fail. So let's do all the procrastinating learning we can. Let's research as much as possible to make sure we have all the different steps so that we don't fail. But what happens then? Well, you're going to, you're going to come up across a step that you're going to have a reason why that's a terrible idea. A hundred percent. And then you're, or yes. you're going to listen to me and you're going to listen to somebody else. And she's telling you to do social media and I'm telling you to do email. Now, what do you do? Shiny objects. Because you're going to get conflicting advice. So what happens then? So you have fear that leads to doubt that leads to overwhelm and confusion. You're going to get overwhelmed the more research you do, and you're just going to get more and more confused. What happens then? You're going to procrastinate. Why? Because Not because you're broken or there's anything wrong with you. This is what our brains have been designed to do. It's been designed, procrastination has been designed to keep us safe, designed to keep us in the cave. So what happens then? You're going to feel guilty because you didn't do what you want to do. And you're living for somebody that's not true to you. Like you're, and you almost distract yourself by doing things for other people because you're not like, I get exactly what you're saying because it's 100% right. It comes out of fear and you talk yourself out of things. And sometimes you can even pull things from your past and say, oh, well, this is something that's tied to an emotion I had when something didn't go my way or something like that. And like you said, you wouldn't even know that you're talking yourself out of it. You think you're doing the right thing. When that's you're right. You don't, that. you don't usually know you're talking yourself out of it, but if you write some of these things down, if you're at a crossroads and you're trying to decide whether to do X, Y, and Z, write it down. And now look at all the things you wrote down. Are you doing all or nothing thinking? That's huge. Nobody's going to buy that or everyone is this. No one, you know, there's a, how many times have I heard there's a recession living? This is like so the waiting many. for, this is like the waiting for Godot recession. It's that's true. Calm. I mean, meanwhile, all the evidence shows that we're, the economy is great. I, so it's like, no, I, it's I, I don't get, I don't get it. So like, look at your thing. Is it all or nothing thinking? Are you mind reading? Are you thinking, oh, she won't want to buy this. That's mind Zooming. reading. You don't know what she wants yeah. to do. All right. Are you fortune telling? Wow. If you're doing any of those three things, all or nothing thinking, mind reading, or fortune telling, you have a 
thought distortion. Wow. And so just know that those are thoughts. They're not facts. They're thoughts. And if there is a thought, you could change the way you think. Because if you don't change the way you think, you're not going to take the actions that are going to give you the results that you want. That is so powerful. Seriously. Because you, it, it can be this vicious cycle. And like you said, every video that comes up is a distraction. It's a distraction. And when you think, like growing up, I always thought reading the news or watching the news was something that smart people did. And I always felt like one day I'll be smart enough to watch the news consistently because I can't like pay attention to it. I'm not interested in it. But one day I will. And I would look up to people who watched it. Now... I don't watch it by choice because I know it'll send me into like a downward spiral. And as much as you care so much about all of these issues that come up, the news that we, we, you know, experience now versus 25 years ago, I believe it's like, I don't know. I heard this on a podcast from Jay Shetty, but, and I'm going to butcher the statistic, but we consume so much more news than we ever have. And it's not natural for our brains to constantly be like, and it's not even just bad news. It's like you said, it's bad business advice from people who are not credible or it's people that are credible, but okay, now I'm going to invest in crypto. Oh wait, maybe I should do stocks. Oh wait, maybe I should do real estate. Oh wait, maybe I should do Airbnb. Maybe I should do that because my friend said this and blah, blah, blah you're going to just not do anything if you're constantly in that because you're operating, like you said, out of fear. Oh, fear of the market. The best tip I ever got when I first got my license was you can never predict the market. Like no one can predict the market. If they could, they would be, you know, trillionaires and they would, you know, rule all of the money. You have to use your discernment and your logic as to what's actually happening. And when you're talking about statistics factual evidence like it used to be in college you had to have a source you had to have you know statistics to back up what you're saying it's now a free-for-all so don't assume that people are going to tell you things that are factual you have to cross-reference you have to fact check chat chat gpt that's a great tool for your business however if you're putting out a newsletter that has information that you didn't cross check you're liable and that could derail your own business so it's Things like that of using tools, but not, you know, using tools to propel you, but having the, the discernment to, like you said, write down what's important to you, what's important to your business, what are your goals, so that all those like messages that are flashing at you every day, it's not as difficult to keep tunnel vision and say, well, that's not in line with what I already promised to myself for this year or even this month. Like, I mean, if yeah. we're talking about like fi financial, so before I became an artist, a million years ago, I worked for a hedge fund called Long-Term Capital Management, wow. which famously blew up in 1998. And the reason why, and was it you who asked me, do I work with people who I have to pull rein in? Yes, yes. That's the only time I ever witnessed people who needed to be reined in. <laughs> uh, so they were, they made a lot of money, um, millions, billions of dollars, actually, uh, doing what they did best. And the reason they lost it was because of the hubris where they just felt invincible that they can go in all kinds of markets that they were never in. And I literally remember sitting there in the meeting where somebody said the only way that this deal, that this trade is going to fail is if Russia defaults and Russia defaulted. You know, it was like, and they were literally doing things like 
um, well, correction, I'm like, you know, licking my finger and holding it up because they had developed so such an outsized hubris and egos. Um, and they were in this like, and money really didn't have as much meaning to them anymore. But we we're talking about billions of dollars. So for those who don't know, this hedge fund lost four um, point five billion dollars in 1998. And so I was like, witnessed the whole thing. That is insane. I'm cringing. And that because... was the, and that was the reason I quit my job. And um, when 9-11 happened, I decided not to go back to work. But I was in this kind of self-imposed maternity leave that I was like, I don't I don't like what I'm doing anymore. I don't yeah. like who I am right now. Wow. Um, so, yeah. And so do you feel like that postpartum time was kind of your pivot where it almost forced you to take a look at what you were doing day to day in a completely different light? Yeah. So what really there's there's a couple of things and this is a lot of what I talk about in in my book. It's chapter two, break free of the golden handcuffs. So I detail the sexual harassment I had on Wall Street, how I left a Wall Street brokerage house. Um, so it was Solomon Brothers. I left that to join the hedge fund. For some reason, I thought that would be better. It was not, you know, and I, I had both of my kids while working for them and they they the firm blew up, but they were still there because all the banks had to come in and help buy us out because if they let us completely fail, the whole financial market would have melted. But what happened during that period is that I actually didn't have a job anymore. And I was like George Costanza every day going in and pretending to work. I was collecting my paycheck, wow. but I wasn't actually doing anything. And it was during that time when I wasn't doing anything where I was like, holy cow, I'm getting paid right now just to stay away from my kids because I'm not doing anything else in the world. And that's why I quit. And that, yeah, that's like a pain that is indescribable. It was an existential pain. Like when I was still in the busy and still in the doing and I was intellectually stimulated, at least that was something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, right. You're like, I'm just sitting here punching a clock and you're looking at the numbers of what you're making versus probably what you're paying for childcare. And then it's not even about I was, that. that and point. I did my pantyhose tax. I mean, Back then we wore pantyhose, by the way. Wow. So there was <laughs> Women a Women were always starting tax. to not wear pantyhose. Can you tell me about that? Because the I'm not educated on the pantyhose tax. So what was that then that you had to pay? That's like, a, I just made that. No, no, you don't actually have to pay oh. a pantyhose tax. I just mean that like you had to spend money on pantyhose that were constantly yes. running. And even back then, so this is like over 20 years ago, they're like $10 each. It was like, it, it, it added up. Yeah. Um, the women got smart. They stopped wearing pantyhose. It's like, this is easy. I have to stop wearing them. Wow. But you know, it's like, that's so interesting. But there was a certain amount of overhead of working that, you know, besides the childcare, just like, okay, there's the dry cleaning, the, you know, the, like you were saying in the beginning, how all the money you have to spend to look a certain way. Yeah. That it's. I just went to CVS and I spent like $100 on some concealer and whatever to like come to work. And usually I just come with no makeup on. But if I'm, there is something in your brain that's like, I, I actually did a video at one of my agent's uh, listings the other day and I forgot to put mascara on. And I'm like, oh, that was like a listing shoot day. Like, I feel like 
I wasn't prepared for that because I didn't have mascara on. So then I like put a filter on the video and I'm like, what, like, what in my brain is equating me wearing makeup to like being more professional and where I'm gonna be seen as more professional. I even, I was at UPS the other day and this woman was wearing eyeglasses and I had read that if you wear eyeglasses, like people will take you more seriously in a meeting. And I have really good vision, but I was like, I've been looking online for fake eyeglasses. It's same thing with like wearing a fake ring. Like it's all of these things that we're using as tools and sometimes you have to discern is this positively affecting me and am I kind of creating a shield or is this a warped way of viewing it and maybe I should think differently or challenge that thinking um to me I think it's whatever you feel most confident as like if I'm showing up to a meeting and I don't feel confident because I didn't put a little concealer on at least or I didn't like brush my hair I don't feel as productive in the meeting. I don't feel as happy after the meeting. I don't feel like I did as good of a job. Same thing with showings. I remember I would wear clothes that it's not even about it being nice or expensive. I was wearing clothes that like my mom recommended that I wear or like was like that's what's appropriate because it's like covering everything and like, you know, up to here. But I felt like fr I didn't feel confident at all. And I it was affecting the way that I would do work and I would see oh, on Monday I wore an outfit I loved, but on Wednesday I wore an outfit that I hated, I operated differently on that day. But that's something that I think, that's my opinion, that you have to identify within yourself of what you value and what you don't personally, not what's the trend and what do I have to be but, but here's something that I want to point out to you. See, all of that is happening in your mind. Right. Because whether you love an outfit or hate an outfit, that's all happening in your mind. Right. So whether right. you're more confident or less confident based on the fact you love or hate an outfit, that it's all going back to your thought. So you can also choose to think it doesn't matter what the hell I wear. Like I'm, I'm a bad badass. I'm, I'm a badass yeah. no matter what I wear. Right. Right. And that could, and you can own that thought. That's, that's it. Yeah. So that's why mindset is so important. Some of the other pushback I got on the book Artpreneur is, Miriam, you don't talk about talent. I was like, that's because mindset matters way more than talent. As we all know, in every industry, in every industry, whether it's music, art, business, influencer, whatever, there's like very talented people who aren't succeeding. And there's people, we look at them like, I, I don't get it. What's so good about her? I right. don't get it. Right. No, you're and right. they have a strong mindset. They are very good with what they're thinking. They know, they know how to manage their mind. That is so on point. And, and it can be different areas of your life because in business, I, that's how I feel. I feel very like powerful where I'm confident in my abilities but even as like a content creator, when you're looking at those metrics, if like some videos don't perform well, that part of my confidence can get affected. Or maybe I don't feel like, like I'm at the weight that I want to be, I'm too thin or something. Like there's like different aspects. And I think identifying like, okay, maybe I'm super confident in business, but am I putting all my eggs in that basket and not just being like true to myself of like you're saying, because once you're confident in yourself as a person and what you bring to the table, 
you are like on X Games mode for lack of a better term. Like you are like so propelled because other people will start to believe it if you believe it. That's right. But here's here's the thing. Most of us put too much emphasis on the results that we have for the confidence. We're relying on that external circumstance when really you can choose to believe whatever you want. So if you choose to believe, let's and let's just we'll just use money as an example. Okay. So if you're relying on your sales to give you confidence, you can choose to believe you're going to make a million dollars in sales this year. It hasn't happened yet. Right. But if you fully believe it, fully believe it, you will have the same confidence as if it happened. Oh yeah. So that's that's why it's like about your mindset. And then what will happen if you fully believe it and you're confident, you will actually make more sales. Imagine that. So it's not it's not even even in a woo law of attraction sort of way. It's because when you change the way you think, you will show up differently. That's crazy. And do you see it happen at a very rapid rate with some people where you're like, oh my God, yes. a week ago they were one person and now they're a different person kind of? I don't, I don't know about a week, yeah. but, but here's, here's the secret. If you look up the definition, the definition of confidence, and this is what I talk about in entrepreneur. If you look up the definition of confidence, it is trust. It is trust. How do you develop trust? Self-confidence is trust in yourself. How do you develop that? By doing what you say you're going to do. Yes. So this is what we talked about before. If you have fear that leads to doubt, that leads to overwhelm and confusion, that leads to procrastination, that causes you not to do something. Every time you don't do what you say you're going to do, you erode your self-confidence. Every time you do it scared, you do what you're going to say you're going to do, even though you have all these reasons why it's a terrible idea, but you do it anyway, you will increase your self-confidence. It's that easy. And I've seen it over and over again with my clients. And how about the people that feel confident with trust in themselves because they've done that work and they've shown up for themselves, but they don't have trust in other people and that may, might hurt their progression as well? I love that question because that's 100% true. So I talk about the belief triad and there is belief in yourself, belief in your art or your product and belief in the buyer. So here's the thing. This is where a lot of people self-sabotage because they don't recognize this. This is such a key point. I'm so glad you brought it up. So if I'm trying to sell, so I'm, I'm an artist. So if I'm trying to sell you a painting and let's just say it's $5,000, you're not trying to decide if, if I, Miriam Shulman, am worth $5,000. You're not try, even trying to decide if my painting is worth $5,000. You're trying to decide if you, are worth investing $5,000. Now, if I have any doubts in my mind as the seller that you're not worth that, I will sabotage that sale. I won't mean to, but I will. Right, right. That's huge. That is huge. Because we go through that every single day and teaching the agents it's difficult, you know, I've learned over time how to read people and how to look them in the eye and like pick up on things that they say that don't add up. And it's kept me out of trouble, but I had to learn that. So how can people kind of get a fast track to that? Or does it have to be through personal experience? What is your take on that? 
Well, the story that I love to tell is in Pretty Woman when Richard Gere hands Julia Roberts his gold card. And for those who haven't seen the movie, she says she's a hooker and Richard Gere wants her to buy some better clothes. Yeah. So she takes the gold card. She's still dressed like a hooker. She goes to Rodeo Drive and the mean salespeople won't wait on her. We all think we're not those mean salespeople. Right. But how many times have we thought to ourselves, I don't think she can afford that. I don't think she'll pay for that. Or I don't think she'll pay for that for my art. But meanwhile, you see, you're making it all about you. Make yes. it about them. Yes. Love them. Serve them. Help them. Yes. That is such... Believe in them. Such an important message. Okay, so if someone wants to, you know, put their trust into someone to propel their business and they've trusted themselves, but they're trying to put trust in others, do you find that the trust in themselves is enough to start to discern other people's you know, motives more, because as much as we want to trust buyers, especially as realtors, there's a huge safety aspect that goes into it where we could be showing somebody, uh, you know, houses for three years, which has happened to me a million times. And then you find out that they don't even have any money and that the pre-approval or the proof of funds was BS, or they were just trying to ha like get a date. It happens all the time. And how do we trust the buyer because I trust the buyer. I'm all about the buyer. Like I'm so client focused and that's the whole mission of my business is to be client focused more so than caring about like, you know, market share for the agents and all that stuff, which is great. But I am like client first. How do I train my agents to also be <clears throat> safe and discerning in those situations? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So there, there's two things I will offer here. So the first thing is like I... I can't get on a Zoom call with every prospect either. So I do have some filters filters in place. It used to okay. be a free consult, but I would make them fill out a questionnaire. I actually now make them pay for my consults. Yeah. Like I don't even do anything for free anymore. Yeah, I mean, I do the podcast for right. free. I come, I guest for free. So, uh, so you can give in the real estate, give them a questionnaire that you make them fill out. Do right. you have $50,000 yes. to put a down payment on? So, you know, these are, these are just get fact checking. However, uh, in the book, Arpreneur, I do have an overcoming objections chart. Now, the point of that chart, it's not about getting a yes at all costs. It's about understanding. We've talked a lot about mindset of our own mindset. We, you also have to my, understand the mindset of your buyers. So yes. the overcoming objection chart, the whole point of that is to really tease apart when somebody presents something to you, what is it that they're really might be thinking or saying here? And how can you tease out what their true motivation is for saying not now or saying no at this time? Because you really want to find out. You don't want to just take on at face value when they say it's too expensive, I can't afford it. And or yeah, whatever it happens to be. And asking further questions, like when they're in front That's of right. you, like, right. you know, you, you don't have to call somebody out right away if you sense that there's something off, but pick up on those clues, take note of it, remember it, and then you can make and an informed important decision. And what's important for us to say now, it's not that we're saying that your buyers are lying to you, but right. they could be lying to themselves. Right, right. That's true and as well. So that's what you need to also tease out. So it's just not to let your emotions or your mind reading or your fortune telling or any of those things get in the way. Ask them, do a survey, make it very fact based. 
I love that tip. I think that's the best tip that people can take with them today is everyone has emotions, man, woman, anything. Every person has emotions. Animals have emotions. Everyone, every breathing thing has emotions that dictate our decisions. However, the people who win and the people who really like go after what they want and they are organized about it and lead happy lives, I think have that kind of unlock where they know how to get into tunnel vision mode and they know how to make decisions for themselves that are true to themselves instead of being swayed by social media, by your peers, by what your parents say, by what your husband says, by what your, you know, anything. Like you're saying, you're going to feel like you betrayed yourself if you don't listen to your own judgment and your own mindset. You can listen to people's advice But if you're making a decision because somebody told you to do something that doesn't align with how you feel, down the line, whatever result that is, good or bad, is not going to be true to yourself. And it can be hard to say no to things that don't align because you want to get ahead. But I think what you're saying, being so in tune with your mindset and trusting that mindset and trusting if I fall off a little bit or if I get into a rut Or if I get into a sticky situation, I know how to get out of it because I have done the work on myself. So is there anything that you want to part with today? I know we had an amazing interview. I have learned so much today and I know that the listeners are going to take these tools and run with them. Is there anything that you want to share that we haven't touched on? Yeah. yeah. So um, if you like what you heard today, come find me at the inspiration place. And I just want to close with these words. And that is the same way I ended the book Artpreneur. Keep taking forward action. Keep marching forward one foot in front of the other, not marching in place. And don't blame your boots. It's not the boots fault. It's not the circumstances. Keep taking forward progress and you will eventually get there. Absolutely. I totally agree. Well, thank you so much, Miriam. This has been amazing. I loved having you on the Evolution of Confidence. I feel more confident now that I can go into the rest of my day with some more knowledge. Uh, So I really appreciate your time. It's very valuable. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Have a great day. Thank you.